Hey everybody, welcome to episode 35 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, and with me, as always, is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins! Hey Chris, what's up? Not much, how's it going, man? Pretty good, pretty good. Yeah, so before we get too far into stuff, uh, I just want to make sure that we do not forget to thank our new patrons. Uh, so... You know, we had a few before last episode, uh, got a couple in between, so I want to make sure to thank Cat Light, Steven Snelson, Francis Ty, and Heath Kruger. So thank you so much for your support. I mean, just like, I can't really express how much it, it means to us, but it definitely, it. I mean, it means the world. It's super cool that you guys uh, want to wanna reach out and, and help us out, and we, we super appreciate it. Yeah, definitely, definitely a huge shout out to all those people. Um yeah, everything Chris said. Definitely, definitely huge, huge help, and it's just kind of you know nice to know that people people are enjoying what we're doing. So that's yeah. that's fun. Yeah, and so if anybody else wants to give us a little support, you can head to Patreon.com/slash/MTGGrindcast, or you know just keep listening, and we will continue appreciating the hell out of you for that as well. I didn't have anything super exciting this past weekend, but I did catch some Grand Prix Phoenix coverage, and uh, there's some interesting things going on there a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I missed a little bit of the coverage because I was off uh, unsuccessfully PPTQing, but definitely, you know, the the wheel of modern is turning uh, inexorably as it does, so. (laughs) Yes, yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. The, so typically I have a pretty good peg on like, you know, what are kind of archetypes are going to have success for a weekend. And the previous week kind of threw me for a little bit of a spin because I definitely didn't anticipate what, I guess this was SCG Dallas. Um, I did not anticipate like storm or like combo decks being that good. And there were a bunch of storm mm-hmm. decks, but I think that was kind of like due to the fact that Caleb chair was, you know. Uh, like came up with a new fun list and a bunch of people wanted to try it and everything. But this weekend again was like, I was like, okay, so Jund and Midrange and Control are everywhere, so it's time for Big Mana to show up. And we did see, I'm blanking on the name, we did see the the Bring Like Scapeshift deck, um, Top 8 the Grand Prix, which was pretty cool. Yeah, which is something we really haven't seen in a while. Like the couple of times I've played against that in big tournaments, I've been very surprised that that is what I'm playing against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bring Light is like one of the one of the. It's kind of like the third most popular Valakut deck right now, <laughs> maybe even fourth most popular, because there's there's like Green Red Titan Shift, which I think is just the most popular one right mm-hmm. now. That's the one with you know four Scape Shifts, four Titans, a couple Pacts, and Ramp Spells. Pretty like you know pretty linear. And then I, and then there's uh, like Through the Breach Titan, right, which is just kind of like a, a turbo Through the Breach deck that's trying to get to Titans as fast as you can. And below that is even like just like rug scape shift, like teamer scape shift, which is um, like cryptic commands and remands and scape shifts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Bring delight is kind of like trying to be this toolboxy like control deck that has this combo finish. Yeah, some people really like it. I don't know if it's like the best version of scape shift, but you know, it's cool to see it have have success there. Yeah, and I mean, we definitely you know last week we were like I would probably be on Valakut for this weekend. That seems like a good idea. This is not quite what we were thinking of. Um, right, right, right. But yeah, I guess kind of like the weirdest thing for me was to see so many kind of like mid-rangey combo decks have success. There was like a bunch of um, collect company decks that did well, playing like, you know, Vizier combo mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then there was like Crackline Ironworks that did well. 
so that was all kind of like also like you know okay maybe we are actually just in like this combo-y linear portion of modern yeah yeah maybe i mean yeah right there's you know nightfall in the top eight which is not not something you see you know crushing it all that often uh yeah yeah and definitely sort of a coming out party i feel like this is like ironworks has always been like at the periphery like definitely Shaheen Sarani is at least likely to show up with that deck if he doesn't think blue white is playable <laughs> right, right right but seeing it actually top eight is very cool and I think you do need a pretty specific metagame for that to happen but this weekend it looked like the the artifact hate was kind of left at home and so we saw mm-hmm. a bunch of affinity decks in the top 32. And then so the one thing that I noticed is that people have really been trimming on the Coligans commands. Like all these Jun lists, their three drops are all Liliana's and Maelstrom pulses and maybe one Coligans command. And then that really opens the door to doing some weird stuff with artifacts. And uh, Ironworks is definitely in the category of doing weird stuff with artifacts. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, Crackline Ironworks is one of those decks that like, if you are playing against a enchantment that's one in a white, you're likely pretty screwed. Um, <laughs> because both Rest in Peace and Stony Silence do a, a you know a, a number it's, it's on this deck either yeah. way, right? Um, but if you're you know if you're playing in a metagame where you just don't expect people to play playing either of those cards, then you know you're in the clear. You're doing great. Yeah, and there there were not a ton of white decks in this you know in the top tables of this GP. Definitely pretty low on there's two blue white control decks there's one green white hate bears deck and there just aren't a lot of other spots for stony silence and and rest in peace to come out to play and so we also saw a couple of black red hollow one decks and a couple of dredge decks take advantage of the lack of that you know hammer graveyard hate yeah but but this was a super diverse top 32 Except that I'm, and I guess we're just going into modern right now, so we might as well just like talk about modern full force until we get tired of it, and then we'll we'll move on to another topic. <laughs> sure, yeah, not exactly the order that we. Yeah, that's, that's I think that's fine. That's fine. Um, Anybody looking at the show notes will know that sometimes you know sometimes sometimes <laughs> we improvise a little bit. Um, yeah, um, uh, yeah. I know Zach Elsick played dredge that weekend and said that he felt like it was pretty well positioned Mm -hmm. not a whole ton of graveyard hate um it's just you know it's just one of those things where i feel like we talk about this like every couple of months but it's like you know dredge is just a deck where people forget about it for enough time and then it's great again you know (laughs) but yeah one of the problems that was facing dredge previously was that especially when like around the time that humans got popular Dredge, like, even though people weren't really playing much graveyard hate, Dredge kind of suffered from this weird thing where what they were doing just wasn't as, like, like them going uncontested wasn't, like, so much more powerful than everybody else and what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of, like, was maybe because, you know, they were playing against a bunch of Tron decks, which could just, like, play sweepers in the big thing and kill them. Mm-hmm. Or, like, storm decks or combo decks where people would just, like, go off the, over the top and not care about what they're doing. Or even just, like, you know, the, the humans deck did a pretty good job of just being able to brawl with the the creatures that the dredge deck was able to, you know, spit out on the battlefield pretty quickly. And that's really, like, when you're when you're not winning all of your game ones, that's just not really a spot that um, dredge wants to find itself in. So, 
it's kind of like an interesting dynamic that we had for a little bit. But I think that, you know, people are going back to these like mid-rangey, like interactive decks. And, and that is exactly where Dredge wants to be. Where like, you know, the, the, the game plan of your opponent is to kill all the creatures and then you're like, all right, they're back. You know? <laughs> so Yeah, and, and one good thing for Dredge um, that, that we've noticed here is the blue decks... Uh, rather than, and, and I know that the Jeskai decks didn't play much Graveyard Hate anyways, but the Jeskai decks have sort of branched off a little bit, and you really get only these two-color blue decks uh, having a lot of success right now. And I think, I mean, that's that's a lot. Uh, having access to Field of Ruin is very important. And if you just run blue-red or you just run blue-white, then you have access to as many Field of Ruins as you want to run. And so... You know, we don't see any Jeskai control really succeeding anymore. This top 32 has a couple of blue-white control decks and a couple of different iterations of these Blood Moon blue decks. And because, you know, some of the Jeskai decks, people are playing blue-red instead, that's less people that are able to run Rest in Peace, even though, to be fair, a lot of the Jeskai decks just weren't running them at all anyways. But there's just not a lot of planes in this top 32, and uh, I think there's not a lot of planes in modern in general right now, and that that definitely helps dredge out quite a bit. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So you know, maybe it was probably a good weekend for dredge. Um, wasn't able to convert that into a top eight, but still, still a good run. One, <laughs> I do want to point out that one one of the things that I was very excited to see on the coverage was we at 11 and two somebody was playing goblins. Which was pretty awesome to see. Yeah, uh, yeah. The uh, the good old eight whack deck, <laughs> <laughs> just playing a bunch of goblin bushwhackers and reckless bushwhackers. That's always fun. I was really rooting for them to uh, to just like take down the tournament, but it wasn't meant to be, I uh, guess. Unfortunately, they must have must have run into a fatal push or two. Yeah, well, on camera he played against a uh, bolt snap bolt deck, which didn't. Go yeah, bad, that's so. very difficult. Yeah, and there were a, a few of those definitely uh doing well there's quite a few of these whether it's uh like emrakul as the wing condition or yeah i mean through the breach there's also a madcap moon deck here in the top 32 like like blue red is actually doing surprisingly well i mean these are kind of the decks that looks like jace is pretty decent in we're not seeing no Jace the Mind Sculptor, certainly, and there's a, a number of these blue decks that are just fine, uh, that are, are are succeeding, have sort of different win conditions and stuff. Uh, definitely not, you know, I got to eat crow a little bit here. When I was thinking about, like, what was going to happen with these Jace decks, I did kind of initially think that it was going to turn into these very Jace-focused control decks that treat jace as card advantage and their primary win condition but it looks like he's actually slotted reasonably well into these shells that we had before that were running blood moon and then some weirdo way to kill your opponent or get a big advantage really quickly whether that's madcap experiment or through the breach emrakul and these do seem to be decent homes at least for jace they do feel a little more reactive than I really want. I don't want to have necessarily a ton of removal spells and remands in my Jace decks, but it does seem like a way that that actually works out okay, at least in modern. So that's interesting. Right, yeah. And I think it's kind of part of like the the power of Jace is being able to um, like close out games where you're, you're locking your opponent out in some other way. 
And being able to back that up with like like Blood Moon, for example, I think is probably pretty strong. Yeah. So it, it you know I think that we keep on seeing success with Jace next to Blood Moon, and that's maybe part of the answer. Yeah, and I mean I think that's kind of a a key part of modern is anytime there's like a kind of iffy deck any all of these decks that are sort of on the periphery that you know are kind of a goofy deck or something like that um once you actually look at the list then you realize that they are usually running a bunch of the broken modern cards so even if you're not huge on like this these weird blue blue red decks that definitely seem a little bit underpowered and are running stuff like through the breach and emerkel which is not the most consistent thing in the world well i mean they've also got blood moons in them which is one of the most powerful card in the format and jace and you know lightning bolts is very good right now too and so they have this core of straight up really good cards same thing with you know goofy decks like living end like not the greatest deck in the world not super powerful but it does okay and part of the reason for that is it's got simian spirit guides and street rates in it and those cards are bonkers so um just one thing that i've that i've noticed like even even with i I think boggles is pretty much the the main exception to this like uh, lots of decks you would not really want to play and seem underpowered but they do okay and the reason why is they've got like mox opal or blood moon or ensnaring bridge or something like that and then boggles is just this crazy deck that's all bad cards but it matches up really nicely <laughs> against what your opponent is doing <laughs> yeah sometimes you just like have a ley line and then you know your opponent is their game plan is screwed right but so. but I'm, I'm calling that the exception to the rule oh sure sure <laughs> and oh and and one card that i think is kind of joining the the ranks of the like maybe not busted modern cards but definitely mainstays of modern that make kind of bad decks into pretty good decks is faithless looting you know decks like hollow one and pyromancer just would not exist without that card and it's such a powerful glue to bring yeah. these non-blue decks together that it's uh, a pretty huge part of the format at this point Faithless Looting, to me, has been occasionally reminiscent of just Brainstorm. Yeah. Where you get access to two new cards instead of three, maybe, but and then you just get to like get rid of two cards, right? I think like maybe one of the only differences between Faithless Looting and a good Brainstorm is like the, the extra card or whatever, which is a big difference, granted, but it, it kind of supplies the similar effect of, you know, being able to just kind of like you know sculpt your hand in a really powerful way yeah and whenever you whenever you flash back faithless looting it just sometimes it feels dirty right (laughs) why do i like i would have just played the front side of this card why do i have this free thing in my right 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 yeah yeah i I mean card is really really good and all the decks that we see it in like have ways of making up for the fact that yeah you do go down a card but like with hollow one like you don't care and you probably got card advantage out of it with pyromancer you've got your bedlam revelers to bring you back up uh, up on cards rather than being down on cards and yeah that just as long as your deck is constructed to make it work and i think we'll see plenty more faithless looting decks as time goes on in modern like the card is is a pretty proven entity at this point yeah for, yeah, for I mean, for as long as that card exists in modern, it it will be a, a very very powerful powerful card there. Yeah, I I feel like we might be burying the lead a little bit on on modern right now because one thing that we usually make a big deal about, uh, but did not this quite yet this time, is that humans won the GP and it also oh yeah it also kind of crushed it because I think there are five humans decks in the top thirty two, including Zen. So so congrats yeah. to Zen. Shout outs to Zen. 
who was able to make 32nd place at the Grand Prix despite putting Yis on the wandering <laughs> bard in his deck. Yeah. Um, um, so now we have to actually tell our audience the text on Nissan the Wanderer Bard because it did top 32 a, a modern GP. Um, yeah. So so Zan, Rossum, and I have all been playing a, a bunch of humans lately. And so, you know, we, we've been tinkering with it and Zan built... Kind of like the story leading up to this is that Zan designed the deck that both Rossum and I top-aided our prospective, like, smaller events mm-hmm. a couple of weekends ago. And it had, like, two P and Kieran in the main, and it was kind of, like, built to brawl with Jund, and it was really good. But Zan, as everybody know, is a avid deck builder, and he just wants to keep on pushing the limits of, of, you know, what he can do with something. So often when he, like, makes this beautiful creation, he wants to just take it further and, and put yeast on the wandering card in it. <laughs> um, as an example. So, yeah, so he, he started testing out Yisan because he wanted, like, some, like, other grindy element to the deck. And so he ended up putting that in just, like, initially as, like, a two-of to because he wanted to draw him and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and Rossum and I kept on saying, you know, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's not do this. This is, <laughs> this is a little too crazy. But he was like, dude, it's really, really good. And he kept on playing with it. And, and yeah, and, you know, it worked out for him. And he, we, we were unable to talk him out of playing two or playing playing one in his deck he still ended up playing one for the grand prix you know and you know he uh he was crushing it he was excellent two up until i think the last two rounds but was still able to lock up the top 32 so well done zan for that so what what this card does is it's two and a green for a two three legendary creature human rogue and it has two and a green tap Put a verse counter on Yisam the Wanderer Bard. Search your library for a creature card with converted mana cost equal to the number of verse counters on Yisam. Put it onto the battlefield and then shuffle your library. So this is definitely like a brawly, grindy card. Like you, you want it to stay in play and accrue advantage over time. And I, I mean, like clearly powerful if that actually works out. You get like a. Uh, champion of the parish into Thalia's lieutenant, and then if somehow your opponent, you and Yasan, are still alive at that point, then you get like a Mantis Rider and just end the game. Right? Did he? Did he talk about like yeah. whether it was working out or not, or was he like, guys, I can't believe I top thirty two this thing with with Yasan in my deck? <laughs> no, he loves it. He <laughs> um, he made sure to tell us uh, every time it ended up being good for him in the Grand Prix. Oh, well, of course, like maybe once or twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it the the upside is definitely there. If you're in a grinding position, you can like do it once for a Thraven Inspector, do it a second time for a you know who knows like a meddling mage or like a uh, a freebooter or just like something solid in that in whatever spot you're mm-hmm. in. Uh, and then yeah, Manus Rider top end seems strong. Yeah, that's that's not bad at all. You do run out after um, three, but I can't imagine your opponent still has life points left after. I mean, I guess there's the PA and Kieran if that hasn't been drawn yet in Zen's yeah, list. Yeah, and then and then your PA and Kieran. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, you got it all going on. Yeah, it's great. It's a lot. But yeah, it's um, it's a little uh, I don't know. One thing that that I've been kind of like joking around with lately is we, I like envisioning what the perfect magic playing robot would do you know sure like because when when we're trying to design deck lists and everything we're we're, you know we're we're always shooting for that you know theoretical optimal right 
when both were like designing deck lists and were playing, right? Like the, the the theoretical robot that could play perfectly and always makes the right decision to to like you know figure it out. And the the joke is that you know humans just don't have the capacity to comprehend what like the theoretical perfect is in terms of like both deck building and and other stuff. Like you know what is the the modern deck that has the most win percentage? It probably doesn't look like anything that we've come up with, or right. right. <laughs> so I'd like to think that Zan is just like that robot, where he's like, you "Guys, you aren't playing Yisan in your humans deck. But come on, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so much better. It's <laughs> uh, so maybe Dan just knows things that we don't. Well, clearly, it's a very real. I, I have not top eight. I have not top thirty two to GP with humans, so I'm certainly <laughs> can't talk. Um, a couple of interesting things about this list you know, that I noticed, and then you can certainly tell me, you know, if I'm off base or, or whatever, you know, the mana base has to shift a little bit once you've got Pia and Kieran in there, because you do need to be able to cast them, uh, when you're not ticking up an Aether Valda 4. Uh, so the fetches are all out and there's a couple of reflecting pools in there. Um, so it, it ends up being 12 five color lands and two reflecting pools and then horizon canopies and planes as, as the mana base. And then one interesting thing that I've seen is, uh, in pretty much all of these lists, we're down to three Thalia, Guardian of Thraven. So do you want to, I mean, you know, at, at this point we are talking about like one or two slots at a time, but the deck is pretty, pretty developed. So that's kind of very interesting. Yeah. Thing. So the Thalias, we, there wasn't a huge amount of decks where Thalia was just like really really solid like you know against storm thalia is exactly what you want and against like other combo decks thalia can be really backbreaking um but there weren't really a lot of decks we expected to see in the metagame where thalia is just backbreaking like of course it's really good still but it's not it's not something that we like really really want to four of right now it has been in the past and there definitely have been spots in the past where we really wanted four thalias because that's just like all we expected to see it was a bunch of decks that couldn't be thalia mm-hmm. But but currently in the metagame, Thalia is, you know, not as insane. And it's legendary, so you don't really want to draw a whole bunch of copies of it. So we ended up trimming down to three for, for those reasons. Yeah, and one thing that I have seen discussed, um, I know like like Corey Burkhart was talking about how he cut the cantrips from his Grixis control deck because, of, I mean, and Thalia was a big part of that. You know, humans in general kind of doesn't leave you time to cast a lot of cantrips, and Thalia in particular means you can't have cantrips that now cost two mana in your hand. So if people are making yeah. subtle adjustments like that, then then that definitely reduces her value a little bit. Um, that makes a lot of sense, honestly. And, you know, as you're, as you're saying that, I'm thinking back to the times that I'm playing against Control, and, you know, I pretty much win all of the games that they're just, like, cantrip into cantrip, and then they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it makes sense that you just, like, want to have more cards in your deck that are going to interact, especially against humans. Yeah. And also in the world where you're running Search for Azkanta, you know, that kind of gives you a cantrip every turn until you flip it. So that kind of fills a lot of that space against you know in the matchups where you do want the cantrips so uh definitely think we're seeing kind right. of an evolution of you know the the value of cantrips has you know risen and fallen over time like for a long time i think we did not realize you know there were standard fairies forever and mostly didn't run ponder like even at the end mm-hmm. and you know maybe that was right but i don't think that people really tried it as much as they should have 
And like I think for a, a long time, like magic theory hadn't quite caught up to the fact that that cantrips are pretty broken. But now we're at a point where there are like legitimate reasons to maybe not run as many cantrips right now. And so that's and we're also at a point where you just assume like, well, geez, Serum Visions is so good. How am I not running this card? But every every card choice is a big deal. And even though it does replace itself, it does not replace its mana cost. And once that becomes too high of a price to pay, then you got to think about whether or not, you know, whether or not it is too high of a price to pay, really. Right. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I wonder I wonder what the, the theoretical robot would do. Yeah. I, <laughs> but, yeah. But I mean, that's, that's um, really the goal here. We're just replacing parts of ourselves <laughs> with machines and, and hoping to play perfect magic. <laughs> yeah. But you know that does make a lot of sense. Where you know um, you you kind of have to assess the uh, kind of the meta game from that perspective of you know what are we you know we have to we have to identify like the pros and cons of of reasons why we would put something in our deck. And I think that if there are enough cons to putting cantrips in your deck, then yeah, get them out of there. Yeah, yeah, and and it's just really important to not see anything as as a, a gimme. Like anything can change. Like maybe Yasamba Wanderer Bard is the right card for a humans list at, at some point in time. Like I don't know, that cantrip thing is just one thing that really caught me because when brewing blue decks you just sort of put down those serum visions automatically, and that's that's not right. You should not do that. And and I think it's really important mm-hmm. to recognize that. Yeah, it's been interesting for me because whenever I am playing against uh something on Magic Online and they lead with like a a blue red land and cast a cantrip i've more often been able to put them immediately on storm even if it's like a serum visions or something like that mm-hmm. just because the the rest of the decks just aren't running as many of that effect yeah so that's maybe not hugely relevant but like an interesting um consequence of of the the rest of the decks kind of trimming on that effect yeah yeah and i mean that's like definitely interesting to see that kind of the population at large is is realizing this and the whether it's consciously or not you know it might just be that you know some people are playing against humans and each time they have these double serum vision hands they can't win and they think well this just isn't working anymore and they individually change it um but i think it's been talked about enough that it's it's becoming part of the like public consciousness a little bit and just kind of crazy to take a step back and notice the ripple effect that all of these like interactions kind of have on just what happens in modern right and how you know like the 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 popularity of thalia turns all the control decks into taking cantrips out of their deck which you know leads to other like weird like minute decision making processes from other, other other areas it's kind of crazy how all these things are kind of like intertwined and um stuff like that i don't know i just thought that was cool. yeah yeah i mean as a as the most basic example like now it's better to run three thalias um but also like it, it right. affects all the decks that are going to play against these control decks if they don't quite have that same ability to dig for stuff then you know that may let you play a more weirdo strategy that uh is more sometimes you know that might be vulnerable to you know some particular card that these control decks are running but they have less ability to dig for it um that may not really be the case with the presence of search for Ascanta, and also it doesn't give you the ability to play a deck that's super weak to blood moon because the blood moon decks are still running all the cantrips that they possibly can but definitely like these tiny changes have effects that sort of like reach out into into mo- the, like the rest of modern yeah 
And stuff like stuff like this is happening all of the time in modern, which I think is why modern is such an always evolving format. Because like all these little interactions and adaptations and adjustments that people are making are just kind of like always constantly going to be in flux and always going to be influencing each other. And I think that, you know, it's kind of like a, a demonstration of how, you know, modern's never really gonna become stagnant because it's it's never right to just always play the same 75 right you know you can play the same archetype or whatever but if you're you know if you're not adapting and stuff then you're just not gonna you, you might be behind so i think that's just kind of like a, a demonstration of how modern is always just going to be adapting and evolving and that's just kind of why a lot of people like the format yeah yeah i mean like for every every time that you are agonizing over whether it's right to play like the second graph digger's cage or the second or the third Nile Spellbomb or something like that, because, like, and you're, you're trying to figure out exactly what the format is going to look like and which one of those is better. Like, everybody else coming to the tournament is doing the exact same thing with their last couple of cards, and that, that whole mm. effect, like, everybody, every one of those decisions is taking into account what they know about the format and, like, shifting it in very, like, subtle ways... And then whoever top eights that weekend, whichever choice that they made, like that ripples out from there. Like, is this the right graveyard hate? What does that mean? Which which deck should I play given that people are running all these graph diggers cages now and that's the graveyard hate that they want? Well, maybe I don't want to run this collected company deck anymore. And that's kind of the, yeah, it, just like you said, like the beautiful thing about modern and, and now that it'll, with no cards ever introduced into the format, I don't think it would become a stale format. Like, we could keep it the way it is right, right now, right. and it would just keep cycling through different stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So that's just, you know, it's just kind of all kind of cool to take a step back and look at and recognize or whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you are, what are you prepping for right now? Are you prepping for modern at the moment? Yeah, so I'm going to Cincinnati this weekend, mm -hmm. and I'm teaming with Dylan Kirkpatrick and... Austin Collins. It was kind of like a, a different team than I, I, I was originally planning to team mm -hmm. with, but um, we was able to get to within last minute after previous plans fell through, which is good. Cool. So that's going to be fun. I'm planning on playing modern, and I'm so I'm kind of still in that like modern mode of trying to desperately figure out what's going on there. Austin, I believe, is playing standard. Austin is the... Uh, he was one of the kids that top-aided the most recent Invitational. And he's really cool, so I'm excited to excited to play with him. And Dylan was the storm player who made the finals of Dallas. So some some really strong players that it's gonna be fun to work with. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Um, so where I mean, where are you at at this format right now? Have you you know are are we still figuring things out, or do you kind of have an idea of where you think so, it's gonna be this weekend? Yeah. <laughs> So, right, that's kind of, you know, I've been thinking a lot about modern, and I'm a little, I feel a little lost, because typically you can, like, you know, I have a pretty good read of, like, where modern's at right now, um, based on, you know, the last couple of results and, like, what's doing well. Mm -hmm. But because all of the top eights have been so extraordinarily diverse, it's kind of, like, hard to peg down which archetypes are really dominating. I, I want to just play... My, I'm going to default to humans, right? I, I have that 75 already, you know, and I'm going to tune it, of course, a little bit, but I'm probably going to default to playing humans. I think it's just really, really strong deck, yep. especially right now. But for, you know, going into Phoenix, I strongly believed that, you know, Scapeshift was the best position deck, 
But after seeing so many more of these, like, kind of, like, combo-oriented... Right. Death, Just the slightly faster, like, Nightfall that, and, stu- and Ironworks combo, that sort of thing, yeah. Right. I'm kind of a little more concerned about Scapeshift's position, so I'm probably not going to end up pulling the trigger on that. And if if I can't find, like, some sort of macro archetype that I believe is, like, super well-positioned in, in what I believe to be the expected uh, metagame, then I'm, I'm definitely going to default to humans. But I'm, I'm keeping an eye out for stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, do you know, you know, where we where you would lean in humans? I mean, probably, you know, these sort of grindier looking builds, especially. I, I really like these dire fleet daredevils uh, in the sideboards. I know, I know Steve uh, Steve Locke, who won the tournament, had one in his main deck even. So you probably, you know, lean towards a slightly grindier list and just kind of humans them. Is that the plan? Yeah, um, I definitely like the more grindy lists. I um, we're not a hundred percent sold that P and Kieran is exactly where we want to be, but uh, yeah, I mean our deck is definitely going to be able to have the capacity to to brawl with Jund. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like just something that you you have to make sure that you're doing. Um, and one thing that some people have done is just to really go up on the number of Mirren Crusaders, right? Which I think is a pretty good option. That's kind of like a more proactive approach of fighting against Jund, which is pretty good. Yeah, if it gets if it gets bolted, that's still just very miserable. And they are running a lot of bolts right now. They are yeah, that's kind of like the one downside is that it's not like we're in a mono fatal push format anymore. Yeah. Um with Death Shadow. So Moon Crusader loses a little bit of equity there, but it's still just a really, really solid threat that they have to have the bolt for. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if it connects, it's it's game over. Right. None of their yeah, none of their creatures are are gonna be able to, to brawl with it. So Right. So yeah, um, you know, definitely a lot of tuning opportunities there. I directly Daredevil is Bay, um, as always. So I, I definitely want to be playing a bunch of from those. From what I've seen, that card is just legitimately great in modern. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like I've seen it out of, you know, blue decks, like kind of as more Snapcaster Mages, just cause so many of the decks in the format have thought seizes in them and it just gives you an extra like guy that comes into play and can thought seize them. Yeah, and it's especially good when you've got Ether Vile, because that's that's just amazing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very spicy. Card is really good. Yeah, yeah. No, nothing feels better than getting your opponent's Snapcaster Mage with an Aether Island too. <laughs> it's just insane. But uh, but yeah, no. Just in general, like even just casting at sorcery speed, hitting them with an Inquisition feels really busted. Hitting them with you know just like a Fatal Push to get rid of their Goy feels really busted. Yeah, every time I cast a card and it gets any kind of value, it's just whew. right. So yeah, definitely want definitely want two to three of those at least. And other than that, you know, we're kind of like debating on whether or not we want Sin Collectors or something else. We kind of like Selfless Spirits right now on the sideboard. I, I've never been a fan of uh, a lot of... I've seen a lot of people play with the Artifact Hate creature. I'm blanking on the uh, name. Kataki. Kataki, yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of people playing with Katakis. I've never really been a fan of that mm-hmm. as much. Uh, so I probably won't ever pull the trigger on that, <laughs> just because I think that you have better tools against Affinity, and th- that kind of those kind of like artifact decks. Yeah, it definitely but, feels um, like yeah, like an old format type of sideboard card. I mean, you know, if you need a bullet, load a bullet. But you know, the the modern sideboards right now are eight, nine, ten different cards with a lot of overlap between which decks you can bring them in. And while Kataki is very powerful against Affinity in particular, you know, a lot of other decks that have artifacts, Kataki is not great against them. 
and uh, mm-hmm. it just seems like one of those kind of narrow board cards that maybe, I don't know, maybe is partially an artifact of older ways of thinking about sideboarding that is not quite as powerful in modern right now. But Steve Locke won the tournament, had two in his sideboard, and maybe it was just that affinity is one of those matchups that he thought was going to be popular this, this weekend, and he was willing to just spend the sideboard slots on it, and it clearly worked out, so... Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe he had the read of, uh, man, nobody's really preparing for Affinity. Uh, I want to be the person who's prepared for Affinity. Yeah. Um, let's put two Katakis in my sideboard. So, you know, that's reasonable, and, you know, definitely can't fault him for it. Um, but in general, in kind of like a wider open field, I, I'm not as much of a fan. I don't know. Yeah, and it's... Um, but yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying about, um, like, I, I just want my sideboard cards in Modern to hit more than, like, one matchup. Like... I remember I, I was playing against Tron on Magic Online with uh, Steve Locke's 75, just because I think it's good to get reps in with, you know, different 75s. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. To see if you're missing something. So I, I ran it through League, and I played against Tron, and I lost game one, and I was on the play for game two, and I was like, I should probably bring in a Kotaki here because, uh, like, the Starfleet Daredevil isn't doing anything, and then the Smeared Crusader that's in the main isn't really doing much either. Mm-hmm. So it's bringing these Katakis in those slots, and there aren't really a bunch of other sideboard cards that I liked. And it was, like, fine. I played it on turn two on the play, and then he couldn't crack his map, and it, like, you know, it tempted him out. But it's just, like, not a card that I really wanted. I felt like my sideboard was a little too narrow, and I just didn't have anything for that matchup. Yeah, and that's a matchup um, where you really want to have... You, you want to know, like, I take these cards out, and I put these cards in, because you're going to play... You have to beat Tron to win a tournament, so... Right, right. You know, it was like fine, but uh, I don't know. I just I'm not I'm not personally a fan. Maybe I'm just you know uh, averse to it because my experience is that I I don't need it against Affinity. But maybe people have different experiences. I don't know. Yeah, it's also very much not a human, which is uh, a strike <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of Gattacteague, so I, I can't blame anybody for for playing something that's not a human. But yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? The uh, the theoretical computer knows, but uh, right, but, but nobody nobody knows. <laughs> but he only exists he, he's in like, our in our minds and our wildest dreams, unfortunately. Uh, maybe 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 I'll be able to write some program one day that'll uh, just kind of like spit out the perfect seventy five of uh, you know given formats and and recent trends in modern or whatever. God, I hope not. That um, would take all of the fun out of it. If you could know for sure. <laughs> yeah, if you could know for sure. Ugh. Yeah. Gross. What's the fun in that? That's just boring. Yeah, that sounds. But it would only be me that knew for sure, and I would just win all the time. <laughs> so that's kind of like the daydream that we're in right now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like winning is really fun. Like I, I don't want to take that. I, I don't want to disagree at all. Like winning is super, super fun. But I don't know, man. Then no, you, no, no, you're, no. You're I, losing I'm, out. I'm, I'm on board with what you're saying, 100. <laughs> I get it for yeah. sure. You don't need to tell me. There's that that um, pride. You play the game to to improve. You know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so. And once you're at 100, percent man, what it you might as well just stop. Well, right, that, and that's kind of the thing I like about Magic is that that is you know kind of almost by definition unattainable. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. So you know, so we're always going to be in this in this flux of struggling and figuring new things out and you know trying to push some boundaries or whatever. So that's modern and a little bit of philosophy. Yeah, we always try to throw in a little bit of philosophy there. But, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, standard. Yeah, just to update a little bit, 
you know, there haven't been really any big events recently. I, I think we are, man, I, and I guess there wouldn't necessarily have been, like, a standard SCG event uh, this this weekend or anything, uh, but I, I think we are kind of feeling that no standard events on the SCG calendar sort of thing. Like, it just feels like we don't quite get the number of tournaments total that we used to, which, I mean, we, we don't by definition. But, you know, like this past couple of weeks, there really haven't been a ton of standard tournaments, so the format is moving a little bit slowly, um, but it is still really cool. Uh, last week, we didn't quite get a chance to talk about uh, the online PTQ, which was won by maybe the Magic Playing Robots Perfect 75 for that weekend, I think I might I might argue <laughs> was. Um, so I, I just don't want to not mention LiDAR's green-white aggro deck, which is... Uh, you know, explore guys, branch walkers, jade light rangers, servo expeditions, and SRAM's expertise. But the key inclusion here was the four Ethersphere harvesters and three sky sovereigns, which I think was yeah. just just an awesome call. I, I think that the decision made there was, hey, my deck is built to be good against Frasca's contempt decks. Uh, I don't have good targets for it. I go wide. I, I kill them as quickly as I can with appeal to authority. But I also want to win token mirrors, and these flying vehicles are a really, really powerful way of doing that. And I uh, also, I know you're a big fan of the boat, and this this deck has seven boats in it, so. The boat. I do love the boat. <laughs> the boat is near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I mean, uh, right, the, just being able to attack with the multiple angles of both going wide and having the threat of a big vehicle that you can attack with. Um, like, the one card that I never wanted to play against when I was playing the original version of this green-white aggro deck was Aethersphere Harvester. Like, every time my opponent played one of those and could crew it, I was just like, man, this game just got so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, putting just, like, four in your own deck and then, like, a bunch of boats as well to be able to fly over is uh, super tech, and I, I love it. Yep, and this is a green deck, so and it's running all these explorer guys, so that gives it the capability to have Carnage Tyrant in its sideboard as well. I mean, I think that this is getting close to where you want to be as a green-white aggro deck going forward. Uh, I, I think that the deck is just really tight, and we're starting to find like what exactly are the core cards that are very important. And not that like seven vehicles is always going to be right, but as long as we're playing in a format with tokens and stuff and boards that can get gummed up, these are a huge advantage in situations like that. Yeah, and you know, and I do like Green-White's position, I think, right now in the metagame a little bit. Um, just like, you know, it has a really good game against the other aggro decks, and it also has a really good game against the, uh, just kind of like everything that you you would expect to see right now. The, the aggro decks, the control decks, the mid-range decks, just like if fighting from like this token Z uh boat angle um just because like you know in, in any of the mid-range matchups if you slam a sky sovereign and like you know take out a, a threat then your, your opponent's just kind of like always forced to hold up a removal spell for it and that's the the reason why i love the boat so much is that like every every time you uh threaten the ability to activate it your your opponent is and and your opponent has like creatures that it could kill your opponent's forced to hold up a removal spell for it and it used to be the fact that in the the teamer energy mirrors Bo was so insane because it just like 
stone rained them twice almost because they always had to hold up harness lightning for it. And then you just wouldn't crew it and wouldn't attack with it. So they weren't able to kill right. it. And right now um, the removal spell that they're holding up is twice as expensive as harness lightning. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So right, so now it's not harness lightning anymore. It's Vraska's contempt is kind of like the only removal spell that can hit it. And if you're if you're playing in some mid range mirror and you're just like you know, uh, like all right, you you just have to hold up Vraska's contempt. And I'm just I'm just not gonna attack with it this turn. I'm just gonna attack with you know, the 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 things that can attack on the ground. Um, and I'd rather just you like not be able to use your mana effectively. It's just such a strong effect. Yeah. So I really, I really like that right now. Yeah, and I mean, that, like, the the reason you're able to do that right now is that the number of abrades in the format is at pretty much an all-time low. Mono Red has been pushed out pretty hard. The Grixis Energy decks don't really have room for abrades once you've put in Fatal Pushes and Harness Lightnings, uh, and, and so they've been shaved pretty drastically from, you know, even the decks that can run them. Uh, so... Sky Sarvans are pretty safe right now, but definitely if you're running this sort of list, watch out because abrades are going to creep back up eventually. Like if somebody starts crushing tournaments with Godfarer's gifts because nobody's running abrades anymore, then people are going to start running abrades again. Yeah, definitely. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that list. I, I do really like that list. Um, the other list that I really like is the 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 Constrictor Hadana's Climb yeah. deck. Yeah, and this is um, this is kind of the 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 deck that I feel has one of the better matchups against that green-white tokens deck. You know, you're expecting people to be... I mean, if we got snakes and ladders, then what is, like, Boten and Token or something like that? Um, <laughs> yeah. That, like, then this might be a, a choice for you. But sorry, I didn't mean to, to interrupt. Like, go ahead and... I don't know. I, I think that you've played more with the deck than I have, so... Um, yeah, but if, so if, if you're on it now, too, then definitely I want to hear your, your perspective if I'm very interested in that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't tested it. I haven't, like, actually gone through anything. But just kind of, like, theory-wise, mm -hmm. the, the list that... I, I guess this is Patrick Cox. Yeah. Uh, who also did well in the same PTQ. Yeah, his list was very that good. That we were talking about earlier. Yep. Um, it just kind of, like, really leans on the fact that Hadana's Climb is just a busted magic card. Right. And if we can, like, you know, you know uh, make that pretty good... It combos extraordinarily well with Bristling Hydra... Um, it just kind of like this, this like really easy two card combo that just can kill your opponent out of nowhere. Widening Constrictor makes it very, very good. It's insane with Walking Ballista. Um, you know, just like all these cards kind of like work really well together. And in addition to that, I think all these cards are just kind of well positioned right now. Like, you know, we all know that Glint Sleeve Siphoner is just pretty busted on its own recently. Walking Ballista work, does a lot of work in the tokens matchups. Bristling Hydra is a card that you and I have both talked about where it, you know, it's it's like against these mid-range decks and against the control decks specifically, just having a hexproof threat can be super, super devastating against them. And, and you know, having four Bristling Hydras against your, your like, blue-black control opponent can sometimes be just lights out, right? Oh, definitely. Um, so, so I just, like, really like the positioning of all of the cards in this deck, and they synergize really well together, and some of them are just busted. So uh, I think that that's kind of like the biggest pull that I have towards this deck. You know, you get to play all the best removal spells that the format has access to. You get to play pretty much the best threats that the format has access to. And even, you know, if you want, you can have some Scarab Gods in the sideboard. That seems like a, <laughs> you know, a pretty pretty solid thing to be doing. Yeah. So I mean, this is just such a, a board control heavy format. And 
to have a card like Hadana's Climb that lets you completely ignore the board. You know, you're jockeying for a position, and then all of a sudden you play this enchantment that says, I don't care what position I'm in anymore, I'm just going to kill you. Um, that's that's an effect that very few other decks... I mean, like, like that's why Scarab God is so good, is because, like, yeah, you're jockeying for position, and then Scarab God just turns your mana into a game a game win right like hadana's climb often feels similar it just turns most of the cards in the game irrelevant uh and it does so for a lot cheaper but you know also you know scarab god does different things but uh, th- that's the reason that i like hadana's climb so much yeah i i don't think that like you know i haven't done a whole bunch of standard testing but i i've definitely played uh i think most of my standard testing has actually come in through coaching playing leagues with uh some clients and stuff and kind of like seeing what's going on there sure. and but i i don't think that we have ever beaten hadana's climb <laughs> like turn three uh that's like kind of gotten out of control and maybe that's probably because we've been playing a bunch of like you know aggro decks that are just like really weak to to that card and getting raced by that card um but yeah it's uh, it's been it's been pretty pretty scary card to to be able to defeat yeah i was actually talking about this in chat with in in our discord with uh one of our uh subscribers one of our patrons asking about you know what to do in this matchup from the green white token side and i pretty much the the biggest advice that i could give is make sure to bring in your naturalize effects because the ways that they wreck you really badly are by Hadana's climb and killing you or by having a walking ballista that just gets out of hand uh and even though you know naturalizing a walking ballista is not usually a great exchange for you it does help mitigate those super super unwinnable situations and and you know climb and ballista are just very good and they both die to thrashing brontodon so uh if you're on that side of the matchup that's one of the things you should be thinking about for sure is is your naturalized effects Right, because it hits kind of both of the problematic cards in the matchup. You know, if, if you let the Walking Blessed get out of control, you're, you're not going to win that game, and same thing with Hadana's Climb. So being able to just have a card that's going to be able to answer either of those is pretty strong. Yeah. And God forbid they have both in play at the same time. That's that's just not not a reasonable situation. <laughs> yeah, that's prob- probably not going to win that game. You know, that and a Winding Constrictor to double all the counters. Yeah, and, yeah no, things get really out of control with this deck, so... <laughs> Yeah, that's standard. I would play green-white tokens or climb right now. I'm not super interested in actually being a Scarab God deck, despite how powerful Scarab God is. I don't know. I just, like, they they just don't really appeal to me. If I were going to play that, I would definitely lean more towards one of the lists, you know, either straight blue-black control or one of the the more controly Grixis energy lists that actually have Torrential Gear Hulks and Glimmer of Genius in them, because I want that weapon to battle the other Scarab God decks with. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, uh, it, it's kind of interesting how Standard has also been rotating a lot recently. Um, I think that, you know, not too long ago, I would have told people to play Grixis Energy as, like, probably the de facto best deck, or, like, Blue-Black Control was also the de facto best deck for a while. Mm-hmm. Mono Red was the de facto best deck for a while. And now I'm just, you know, I think that, you know, these other two decks that we've been talking about are just, you know, really, really much better than either of those at the moment, it feels like. Yeah. I mean, it it just sort of feels like the format has figured out that in order to be successful, you have to make their Vraska's Contempts not great. Uh, And that makes me just not really want to be on a deck that relies on Vraska's Contempt. So 
Yeah. I don't think it's... Or relies on something that is bad against... Or yeah, yeah right. That's bad against Rice. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's kind of your read is that there are a bunch of that card everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's standard pretty much. So we want to talk about some of this miscellaneous news kind of stuff, and then, uh, you know, I don't think any of these should take too long. Uh, yeah, definitely. So first thing is pretty exciting. We've got the arena closed beta. Uh, is going to add 100,000 players and also lift the non-disclosure agreement tomorrow and also add add Amonkhet block to to the supported cards. So, you know, I don't, I don't think I have like a ton to say about it, but it's nice to see this moving forward. And I'm hoping that, you know, they get it to a point where it is playable and it'll be a thing that people can watch now, which is cool. Unfortunately, it still doesn't have any real formats on it so i was you know like i was playing with the idea of maybe streaming it if i can get my um terrible internet situation uh to become a less terrible internet situation but i i don't think that i can justify spending time playing uh amonkhet plus ixalan constructed you know once they release draft on it i'm gonna be all over it non-stop but uh until then i'm not sure that i can you know even even try streaming it and i'm not sure that i'll be super interested in watching the the post nda streams since it's since it's not a real format yet yeah i mean you know this is kind of what we talked about when it first was released where we were excited about it but we knew that it's gonna take maybe like a year or two before it's like really kind of the tool that we want it to be Mm -hmm. and i think that we're kind of continuing with that trend of like it's slowly making steps towards kind of, you know, being a good platform to be able to play on, but we're not quite there yet. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited that the NDA is going to be lifted. I'm, I'm definitely excited about them, you know, kind of like taking the next step, but I agree with you. And that, that the, the thing that I'm most looking forward to is the drafting yep. portion. Yeah. Like if, if I can draft on there for like, a, you know, if it's like cost efficient to be able to do that over Magic Online, that seems like it's going to be an excellent, excellent resource. Yeah, I mean, give me draft. Um, just, I mean, that's it. It's like full stop, and and then I'm I'm yours. Yeah, yeah. Once you do that, then and drafting is like the same as drafting on on uh, you know in real life or whatever. You know, I'm in. Let's do it. I'll I'll do that all day because I've been wanting to have like you know I want I want to draft more on Magic Online, but you know. Uh, I'm also trying to make money on Magic Online, and you just <laughs> lose money by playing limited on Magic Online. Yeah. pretty consistently. Yeah, you really do. And um, and they got rid of the you know buy a thousand play points for and get a, a a small discount when you do. So it it's even less like when I do get to that point because I did a bunch of drafts and seals, and now I need to buy in again. It it feels really bad because you're just it's just a lot of money going into the system when you do that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, don't have a bunch of, you know, crazy cool thoughts on Arena, but um, yeah, I'm excited to see it kind of take more steps in uh, what's hopefully a good direction. Yeah, Um, and I think that this uh, episode is going to release after the NDA is lifted, so one thing that I will say is that I'm very much hoping that this new patch uh, helps the presentability issues of it a little bit. Because I was in, I'm, I'm in the closed beta, and I played some, and the main reason that I stopped playing was not just because, you know, it's not a real format, but was also because just the, 
like responsiveness of the program you know like every time you start a game it would just sort of stall for a second and then come up um and it would uh just you know it it seems to be using resources and very like computer resources in very weird ways and stuff and i'm hoping that you know it closed beta like this is still a product in testing and i'm hoping that because they are allowing people to stream this and show it and stuff, that means that they're more confident in the presentation now, which I hope means that that they've they've gotten rid of some of these problems that actually made it a little bit unenjoyable to play. That's good. That's good, for sure. Yeah, so other stuff that's happening. We don't really talk about supplemental products a lot on this show. Like, I don't think we even talked about uh, Masters 25 pretty much at all. But one thing that looks really cool is that Jace spellbook that they're coming out with. Uh, I like I saw it and I immediately like posted a couple of the cards to the Discord because like they are they're doing some cool stuff playing with frames both on this and on the new Dominaria cards, uh, like the legendary creatures and on some of the promos like the FNM promos and other things. Um, and I think they're playing with the frames in pretty cool ways that I personally appreciate more than like the expeditions or the masterpieces. So I'm kind of excited to get my hands on some of these kind of you know interesting looking cards. Yeah, the uh, they definitely look interesting, and it's it's kind of interesting to see them come out with uh, this kind of supplemental product. They don't really do that terribly often, where it's just like a bunch of cards that people you know want to have cool versions of. Right? Yeah. People that are playing brainstorms kind of like you know want to have like some pretty sweet brainstorms or whatever, so they're like, hey, let's let's do this. And then like the other th- interesting thing that they're doing with it is that you know you're gonna get all of these cards, but random one random one of them is gonna be foil. <laughs> so you're, you're definitely gonna want to like you know try to hit that foil brainstorm, which is probably gonna worth more than yeah um, yeah foil brainstorms are the rest of the cards are, are definitely premium cards um it, it is kind of funny though if you buy four of this thing then you don't really have a playset of most of the cards because you don't really want to play one you know like three non-foils and one foils so that's kind of funny right yeah that's <laughs> so it, that's definitely kind of like an interesting twist on it all but yeah i think they look pretty cool um yeah i'm generally i don't know when when what were they originally called the, the when the masterpieces first came mm-hmm. out, they were the lands. Yeah, the expeditions and they were called expeditions. Yeah, when those expeditions first came out, I hated them. I still, I um, still hate them. I think I'm. Yeah, they're they're like fine now for me. But one of the things that I really lean on when just kind of playing Magic is just being able to recognize immediately what a card is by the art. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of Magic players are the same way. So when when all these expeditions came out and people's mana bases were getting blinged out on you know for for whatever reason and I'm playing modern and I'm trying to know what fetch land they are playing or what shock they have in play it was kind of like a nightmare and now that I've like now that I've seen them and I've kind of been able to develop that you know familiarity with the art it's like fine for me but uh, but yeah, I think that these um, these new spellbook cards might have that same problem initially, where like if I'm playing Legacy or something and somebody plays this crazy card and then draws three cards, I'm gonna be like, Wait, hang on, <laughs> I'm assuming that's a brainstorm, but Jesus, for a second. Yeah, I think the you know? the problem is a little less so on spells than on permanents. That sort of like 
I don't know, especially like lands. Like it's very important for me to know if you have a stirring wildwood in play and stuff like that. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like absolutely. Every time that I've ever cast a blue instant, I've said the name of the spell as I'm casting it. So right, and so it's probably not going to be that much big of a problem. But uh, and I guess that was mainly just because it was lands, and lands are something that's so crucial to just be able to snap identify on the opposing board. Yeah. Because what you know, the mana that your opponent has access to is is maybe one of the most relevant things that you need to be thinking about when making decisions. Right. Can you so can you cast cryptic a, command? Do you have to fetch in order to cast your cryptic command? Like that matters a lot. Yeah. Yeah. These are all huge decisions. So it's uh you know it's it's pretty crazy to to just kind of like not be able to to look across the board and just not be able to know like immediately after playing as much magic as I have you know. So, but, uh, but yeah, it, I, I don't expect that to be a huge problem for these, really. Yeah. But that is kind of my general go-to hesitation for weird supplemental, different art style stuff. Right. I don't know. Maybe I'm just turning into an old, old man player <laughs> who's like, you better play the original art on all these cards so I can know what they do. Beta forests only. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I also... Like, I am not a person who has ever pimped out my cards. Like, if I have a version of something, even if it's all beat up, I'm gonna play it. Like, I have three mismatched ensnaring bridges. If I'm gonna, if I'm putting those in my sideboard and burn, I'm not gonna go get matching ensnaring bridges. Like, those are the ones I'm gonna play. But these are pretty cool looking. I, you know, they're one of the few, ooh, look at these that have really kind of gotten me excited. And also, like, the FNM promos and the stuff they're doing with the frames. I don't know, like, it. they still look like magic cards, which is important um, to me, like the Expeditions and the Masterpieces. Masterpieces were okay, but Expeditions and the Amonka Invocations, um, like, sort of went a little too far away from it, and every time somebody casts one against me, I get a little bit confused and have to figure out what it is. I don't, I don't think that's going to be a problem with these cards. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. But yeah, I, you know, I definitely can, can understand your sentiment of... Um... You know, I, I also have no desire to pimp out anything, but, you know, I, I kind of take that to a whole other extreme where I just don't want to own anything. Yeah. <laughs> Magic cards, clothes, it doesn't really matter. I just don't, I don't want new things. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is kind of nice having a couple of decks, at least, that you know, like, if everything goes wrong and, and Wit is playing humans and Jay is playing Valakut and I just can't borrow these cards... Um, then I can at least play these decks that I've got. So that is nice, right, but, right. you know, yeah, especially, like, if you're just trying to be on the absolute cutting edge and you just want to play whatever 75 you think is the perfect 75 for a weekend, it is really hard, unless you just own, like, all of Modern. So, yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, yeah, I definitely uh, recognize that I'm I'm in a pretty privileged position to have all of these friends who have all of their collections and are willing to let me borrow them. So that's, that's pretty awesome for me. But, um, you know, and especially since you're in like Germany and, you know, you don't have access to a bunch of easy, like local game stores and stuff like that, you know, it right. can be difficult. Yeah. I own more decks than I've owned like at any point in my life right now, just because I, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to think is the right deck to play this weekend. So now I am, Capable of putting together Dredge and Mardu Pyromancer and Burn and and, and Living End, obviously, but so <laughs> yeah, Living End, which I think it, you know it might be time, but you know it it actually yeah it looks not terrible right now, but 
I'm also not playing modern for a while, so I'm mostly focusing sure. on, on on limited again. Weirdly enough, right now I've got another PPTQ coming up this weekend that hopefully goes a little more smoothly than last weekend's tournament. And then I actually got a team for GP Amsterdam, so I'm going to be headed there for some team sealed rivals of Ixalan. So that should be pretty exciting. Nice. Were there any other miscellaneous topics we wanted to hit? Yeah. So you know, I don't. I definitely don't want to be like a podcast that sort of ignores stuff that's going on. Um, when when things happen that are sort of like important to the community, I, I want to be be certain that we engage with it and, and talk about our perspectives because I think we try to be pretty reasonable and see things from as many sides as possible. One thing that sort of popped out into the discussion sphere, um, you know, on Reddit and Twitter and that sort of thing is uh, Alex Bertoncini. I mean, he's been back for a little while, but he is unbanned, and he actually top 32'd this GP. I guess he finished uh, one spot in front of Zan, which is uh, better than, you know, like, kicking him out of top 32 or something. But this uh, has definitely caused a little bit of an uproar, you know, discussion about whether or not it's appropriate for him to be playing the game at all after having been banned for cheating twice, which is... uh, pretty extraordinary and especially because the the ways he was banned are not just these he was not banned for just like one time like cheats of opportunity that that just sort of repeated itself like it seemed to be clearly a concerted like anytime he could get an edge by doing something under the table he kind of would and it you know, tainted a lot of, you know, especially Star City results because he played a lot of uh, Star City tournaments. And seeing him back playing, I think, is making a lot of people feel mm, like their interests are not being protected. Feel like the, uh, the, right, feel like the judge program might not be doing what we want it to do. Yeah. I think might be one of the sentiments. Yeah, I don't know. There, there are a ton of elements to this on kind of like the micro and macro level of like, you know, okay, we can look at this guy, Bertoncini, you know, on kind of like the micro level of like, he's a person, he's gone through some stuff, he's cheated and been banned for it. And now he's, you know, he's had to step away for, you know, the certain amount of time and now he's back and he wants to play magic. So, and then there's kind of like the other element, which is like the the bigger element of like, you know, the social repercussions of all that stuff of everybody has their opinions on it and are like, you know, he's cheated twice. And so to me, that means that he shouldn't be able to play anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But clearly the judge program disagrees with that sentiment because he's here playing magic, you know, and just kind of like all the feelings that that dredge up in, you know, in, in all of the individuals about, I feel like I'm not safe at a magic tournament not it's not safe from like a like a personal safety right right physical safety right level but safe as in like a you know the 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 judge program is gonna keep cheaters from playing this game and i don't know that's just something that i've been thinking about a lot recently and this will be i guess like my spiel on um on controversial topics where there there definitely been a few instances recently where I have felt like the judge program has not done enough in certain situations to to do what what I guess from my, from my personal perspective is like what what they need to be doing really which is taking taking enough steps to to a investigate somebody who might be cheating or b 
just kind of like, you know, being able to, after that investigation, taking the necessary steps to remove them or whatever. There were, there was, there was a couple situations where, so there, there are kind of like two situations that happened to me recently. Um, and I don't know how in depth I want to get into this, but I'm just going to go. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Definitely. So there's one situation where I'm playing a match in a, a, a PTQ on the second day of a Grand Prix. It's a limited event and I'm kind of shuffling up for game three. And as I'm shuffling up, I'm watching the table next to me play Magic. And that's just kind of something that I always do when I shuffle. Because, you know, you kind of always cock your head to the side to to just indicate to your opponent that you're not looking at the decks or whatever. And something that happens when you look to the side is there's a match of Magic happening there a, a lot of the time. So you, you just kind of like start watching. So I just kind of like fell into watching the match next to me. And, I've you know, I've played a lot of Magic. I've watched a lot of Magic. And... I felt like I've gotten pretty good at, you know, knowing what's going on. And so I was able to kind of like identify what happened in this scenario pretty well. And I remember it very, very well. So I'll just kind of like go through what happened. So the player, the player on my side had a 2-2 that can't be damaged in combat. And the other player had a 2-3 flyer, but they were both kind of top decking. And I could see that the person with the 2-2 that can't be damaged had two lands in their hand and had just drawn for turn so they like they played a land they passed the turn the opponent drew they played a land and then the opponent kind of like laughed and was like hey yeah we're just kind of like staring at each other and drawing lands he passed the turn back and then the person to my right drew a um i'm just gonna be bad with limited card names right now um it's the three mana white enchantment that makes a one one vampire and gives plus one plus one and like squire's devotion they drew squire's devotion Previous the, the turn before, they had two lands in hand, right? So they play the Squire's Devotion on their creature, and the opponent was like, yep, that resolves. So they get their Vampire, and they are now able to attack into the 2-3 that they were previously kind of board-stalled on. Mm-hmm. It connects. He deals their damage. They gain through life. He passes the turn. His opponent draws, and then impales the now 3-3 lifelinker with the enchantment on it. And in response, the person to my right casts Reckless Rage, dealing 4 damage to his opponent's 2-3 and 2 damage to his guy that's being targeted by Impale. Hmm. Um, okay, well, where did that come right. from? <laughs> uh, <laughs> he had 2 lands in hand, he drew a spell that I saw, and then I, I, I missed it. You know, something like, I'm following this game pretty well, I know exactly what's going on, and then this card kind of comes out of nowhere. And... He has this reckless rage that I just, you know, I, I, where did that come from? He had two look cards in hand. He drew a spell that I saw. He, you know, and I kind of like double checked to like make sure that like they didn't pass through another turn cycle and they didn't, that I just like missed or looked away or whatever. So from my perspective, something's very wrong here. There's a card that appeared out of nowhere, this reckless rage, which is like this like weird, like, you know, it's really, really good in certain spots card. So I'm like, okay. And this kind of like all happens pretty quickly, you know, but I'm, and I'm like, you know, I just, I did just finish shuffling and I, you know, and me and my opponent are kind of like drawing for the second games, but I, I, and I like start to tr- start to like move my focus to my match and just like try to ignore it. But I'm like, no, this is just too weird. Something's like very, very wrong here. So I call a judge. So I'm like, I, I asked the table to stop playing cause it's, it's competitive and not professional. And I asked to talk to the judge away from the table, and I explained what I just explained to you. And I was like, okay, so 
this Reckless Rage came out of nowhere. So I feel like you guys should try to do something to figure this out, right? And so the the judges kind of like do a pretty good job of investigating what's going on. They they end up counting the number of cards because you can you can kind of like figure out how many cards somebody right right uh, should have, have access to based on what turn it is, right? So they they do all that and they figure out that the player who cast the Reckless Rage had one more card that they should have had. Well, jeez. And I'm like, okay, case closed. You know, Reckless Rage came out of the lap or something. It, that seems to me like it's enough information based on, you know, what I saw and and everything else that this guy's clearly cheating somehow, right? But they, the, the conclusion that the judges come to is that they don't have enough information to determine that he's cheating, and they decide to implement the extra cards penalty... To his hand, uh, which so is lose, the opponent lose gets land to... ten, please. Right, yeah. So the opponent gets to look at his hand and shuffle a card back into his library, which is a land and completely irrelevant to the board state because they're both flooding out. And I don't know. I just kind of left that whole situation with like, this is the best we can do. Are we serious? Like, you know, I I feel like we had all the information here to determine that this guy was che- like, and the one step that maybe they could have taken to get more information is. Let's count the total number of cards in his deck. Because now if we're counting 41 cards, that's just kind of like another, like, this guy's definitely cheating. Yeah. It's, it's just so clear in all of the instances that this guy is doing something shady. And, but, you know, the penalty was, you looked at an extra card somehow along the game, and now that's, you know, it's too far and we can't fix anything. But... Uh, right, yeah, but they, they also have your your know. testimony that he had two lands in hand, and then a turn later he had two spells. So, like, that's right. not the only information that they had, is that he was up an extra card somehow. Like, that, there, there's more to yeah. it than that. Right, and the, the judges, like, you know, they did their investigation, and I, I'm not privy to what they asked the players. Maybe they sure. knew more things than I did based on their discussions with the players, and maybe they asked him about the Reckless Rage, and he said something that made sense. And the judges asked me, and they pulled me aside, and they were like, how confident are you in what you saw? And I was like, pretty confident. Like, you know, but I, I did lay out some scenarios in which I, I could have been wrong, right? Because I don't, you know, I wanted to put all the information on the table. Yeah. So I said, it's possible that maybe he had this Reckless Rage still as part of his hand, but it was just kind of like lying face down somewhere that I couldn't see. But I feel like we could rule that out because I know what it looks like when somebody draws a card and flicks their card around in their hand. You're not going to have like a land in hand and the Reckless Rage face down on the table, draw a second card and flick those two cards around in your hand and play land and pass the turn, right? (laughs) I don't know. It just felt like we had all the information there that I just kind of like left that hole. And it wasn't even my match. And I didn't know either of the players, so I wasn't invested at all. But I just felt like, you know... Right. They kind of whiffed there, right? So I just kind of like had this feeling where did we really do everything that we could do here to stop this guy from cheating in this match? Because, you know, magic tournament magic is something that I'm taking very seriously right now and and I just kind of like left that whole scenario with like it's just I don't know, just a kind of a bad feeling. Even if you're not taking tournament magic incredibly seriously even if you're going to like you know the one ptq that you get to go to every couple of months because you like magic or or whatever like it's not fair to ask 
players to have to sit there and, and like you should like from the perspective of a spike who wants to make sure that your opponent isn't doing anything underhanded like you should you should be aware of how many cards your opponent should have in their hand at any given time you should keep an eye out for like sleight of hand tricks um i'm not super great about that uh, and i probably should be more vigilant than i am so yeah i mean like cheaters if you play against me like there's a and you're listening to this you might just get away with it but it is not fair to put players into a position where they need to be these like super hyper vigilant observant sentinels of the game it's also a weird situation that and this sort of cuts both ways in the like hey judges should like dq people for life if if they are found cheating a couple of times um like judges are not trained investigators you know like they they're tasked with taking information from several different people information that they're able to uncover you know like was there an extra card involved in the game um and take that information decide who is credible and who might be lying to them and sort of put all that into a blender and come out with a decision that they're making this is a process that you know like police detectives or investigating attorneys or that sort of thing like go through tons of training and get tons of experience doing you know judges are these volunteer positions and this is what they do on their weekends and so you know it it gets kind of hard to say like what exactly the standard is but it definitely you know as a player i i really want there to be some sort of very I don't know, very clear process for this sort of thing. And, you know, I definitely want to be protected. And in, in situations of, of clear cheating, I think that, you know, we don't have to have a lot of tolerance for that. Yeah. And you make an excellent point where, you know, these, the judges, I don't know, it's, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on the point as well, because, you know, you do make a good point where like, you know, we're not, we're not paying the judges a lot and the, uh, they're, they're mostly just kind of like volunteer workers who are doing something that they enjoy and, you know, we can't expect them to have that, like, you know, years of experience in investigative, mm -hmm. you know, all this other stuff that, that is, would be necessary, I feel like, to make a lot of these decisions because, you know, because these are really, you know, complicated, tough things to be able to figure out. But, you know, I know that the, the people who judge is, you know, we've got a bunch of really smart guys who are judging and, you know, I want to give them the, you know, I don't want to say like, oh, of course they can't figure it out because I, I want to give them the credit to be able to say, you know, I, I know that these guys can do it. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, there's the, also the reality of, you know, not, not every judge is going to be able to be able to make the right call every time. It's just, this is not how the world works. Right. Yep. And it's hard. It's hard to be. I think it's really easy to see it as being the bad guy if you're making the call to DQ somebody or to start yeah, a, a right, DCI investigation. Right. And it's really, you know, most people that get involved in magic, and I think maybe especially people that get involved in, in judging, you know, like, we get involved in magic because we're nerds and we like playing these games. And like most of the people who do that are not super confrontational people. The people who end up in the judge program are people who find it more fun to be the referee in this situation rather than being the, the people battling. So they're even less confrontational yeah. people than, than the people who are playing in the tournaments. So that's, <laughs> that is a tough spot to put these judges in. But I think we, are, we do have to ask that tough decisions be made. 
Um, and in my opinion, I, I think when somebody gets caught in clear situations of cheating more than once, I have no compunctions about saying, please go go do something else. Like, you're, you're not the type of person we want playing. To, we, we don't want to play Magic with you anymore, is basically what, right. what we would be saying. And I, I, I think that that is fine, because playing Magic in a tournament setting is not a right. This is a privilege. Like, you still get to go live your life and have a full and fruitful life. You're just not allowed to play this game that you sort of took advantage of and gave up on by committing these acts of cheating. Um, and so I, I have no, absolutely no compunction about saying, no, if you if you cheat, just please leave. Yeah, I do, to a certain extent, believe that we should be giving somebody a second chance. I think second chances are fine. I, I didn't really have any qualms when... Bertoncini came back the first time because the the judge program demonstrated that it was able to catch him and and we did and then we were like all right it's time for you to go to timeout mm-hmm. a little bit um but you know if since he did it again after all yeah. that then just like clearly I don't know, did not grow um, up didn't learn anything you yeah you've demonstrated that you just don't care right, right. and and at, at that point then okay uh all right you don't get to play anymore yeah, it's would be would be my it's opinion. just so disrespectful I um, remember. Years and years ago, going to a Star City weekend, and these were back when the tournaments were, you know, a tournament on Saturday and then a tournament on Sunday. And I remember he won the tournament on Saturday, and then he won the tournament on Sunday. And we were like, who is this guy? And then even back then, like, I was hearing from people who played against him who were like, yeah, you really need to watch this guy. I'm not really sure what's going on with him. Um, And so I, you know, obviously confirmation bias now we're like oh now that we know he's a cheater he clearly was cheating that whole time but it certainly seems like from the beginning like this was a problem and you know i would like yep. for the community to be be able to take steps to rid itself of these problems but i, I do want to say it's it's kind of a dangerous line you walk in there a little bit because there is also a phenomenon of a, a, a lot of players looking at somebody who has a lot of really good results and just assuming that they cheat. Right. Definitely. Definitely. Um, like, I've I've heard pl- a bunch of players say, oh, Seth Manfield wins all the time. He must cheat. Ugh. Right. And that kind of, like, you know, default assumption about just any player, I think, is really dangerous. Or not, I guess it's not dangerous, but it's just pretty toxic, I think, where you, just because somebody's doing well and, you know, winning back-to-back tournaments or whatever... It doesn't mean that you should assume that they're cheating. You should assume somebody's cheating if you see a bunch of sketchy behavior from that person, right? Right. I, I think that you should be careful with uh, associating results with with cheating. Right. And and I think maybe I wasn't clear. Like, it, I was hearing from people that weekend that they had seen him do sketchy things specifically. And sure. also okay. he had won yeah, yeah. both tournaments. But, but, you know, maybe he wasn't even cheating then. Like, that's certainly not like a given but now that we you know know these things about him it's difficult like if he wins if he won that gp do we put an asterisk behind it like how confident are we that he he won the gp legitimately like i I just don't see a good yeah like outcome of having him in these tournaments yeah no i i definitely agree i uh yeah i don't know 
I um, I hate to, you know, kind of take that stance or whatever, but since for me personally, every time I think about me potentially sitting across the table from him and just having this kind of like visceral reaction of, I, I, I don't want, I don't want to do this. Right. Um, it's just, you know, it's just bad. And I think that pretty much every player who knows the name is going to have that same reaction. And that just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, two explorers is like the biggest meme in magic. Like this is not... And, and, and yeah, like playing Magic is fun, and I can't imagine like if I look on the pairings board and I see that I'm playing against Alex Bertoncini, like I I can't imagine I'm going to be having very much fun over the next 30, 40 minutes. Right. Yeah, you're just going to be on your toes the whole time trying to trying to watch watch him. Yep. You know. <laughs> yep. So, but yeah, I guess uh, you know. Uh, it kind of just reminded me of like the general sentiment of given some experiences that I've had lately. It feels like the judge program is kind of you know, not really living up to what I want its standard to be, but, uh, you know, I also recognize that that is kind of like an impossible ask given, you know, the fact that, you know, we, we, we can't afford to pay, you know, people to have like a bunch of experience or whatever and all these things. So I don't know. Yeah. It's a complicated it's, issue. It's definitely a tough one to solve for sure. But in terms of, um, Burton Cheney doesn't get to play anymore. Uh, yeah. that feels like less. Of that, <laughs> that feels easy. Yeah. <laughs> who, who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so for something we weren't totally sure if we were going to talk about, uh, we definitely <laughs> guess we had some thoughts. But yeah. yeah. Collins, you got anything else this episode? Uh, no, I, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, definitely huge shout out to um, our patrons. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. And so for everybody listening, whether or not you are a patron, thank you so much for listening and have a great week. We'll, we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you.